Good morning. I'm Van, and I have the pleasure of introducing to you our guest today. Ray Waters, and is accompanied by his wife, Jane, is uh, here to spend some time with us. Ray pastors the Village Church in Atlanta. He founded that church and continues there after 26 years. I understand Ray also is CEO of an organization called The Big Life. I suspect that this morning we may get an inkling of why that title might be appropriate. So, Ray, it is a great pleasure to have you here this morning, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. Very much. Thank you. Y'all, it is an honor for me to get to be at Grace Point. I was here about a year ago, and uh, you guys have no idea what an inspiration you have been to me. And I feel like when I was here the first time, I met a lot of people but didn't really uh, get to know you, but over the last year, just following you on Facebook, now I feel like we're friends, and uh, that's awesome. Uh, Matt, what's your sister? What's your her name? Yeah, what's your name again? Josie. Yeah, Josie and I became friends yesterday, so we just met each other. She said, hi, I'm Josie. I said, we're friends. Yeah, we're Facebook friends. I'm so glad to get to meet you and to get to know everybody. Thank you all for coming, and I know you've heard this before. The space is beautiful. When I see the pictures, the space is beautiful. There's nothing like it with you guys filling it. It is so attractive and so beautiful. And my wife went back and looked at the children's ministry, and she said, it is awesome. And so you have a lot to be proud of. We're very glad to be here. Thank you for allowing me to speak and uh, hoping to get to be with you uh, in the future. And if you ever come to Atlanta, and a few of you have, if you come to Atlanta, please look up the Village Church. We're located in a little town called Hapeville, which is just south of the city. It's Hape with a P, not Hate. Hapeville. That's uh, people like a little weary about that. Um, but we're we're a church that has the same heart that you have at Grace Point. Uh, we started as an evangelical church, much like you did. We started 26 years ago, and over the last 10 years, especially, we have become. Uh, much more understanding this movement of inclusion, and it is a beautiful thing. We, I was telling someone just a few moments ago, because of our location, the one thing we have that you don't have is we have a lot of homeless people that also are part of our church, and it is, it's one of the things I'm most proud is in our church family. It is white and black, it is straight, it is gay, it is people that have it together and people who don't have a clue and are a long ways from having it together, and it's people that live in really nice houses, and it's people that slept under the bridge last night, and we all come to this place called The Village, and it's a beautiful thing, and so if you're ever in Atlanta, please stop by, we'd love that. Good to see you. Henry Nouwen, who died in 1996, is one of my favorite authors. Many of you, I'm sure, have read him. He was a Dutch Catholic priest and professor, writer, and theologian. His interests were rooted primarily in psychology, pastoral ministry, spirituality, social justice, and community. Uh, one of the most intriguing things to me about Nouwen was how, after nearly two decades of teaching, and he taught at institutions like Notre Dame and Harvard and Yale's divinity schools. Now and went on to work, he left education and he went on to work with mentally and physically handicapped people at the El Arca Daybreak community in Ontario, Canada. It was amazing to see a person at his level walk away and to go spend the last years of his life working with the handicapped. If you've not read him, again, I encourage you to do so. 
I wonder if these words written by now and in 1989 ring true to you. We are fearful people. The more people I come to know and the more I come to know people, the more I am overwhelmed by the negative power of fear. It often seems that fear has invaded every part of our being to such a degree that we no longer know what a life without fear would feel like. There always seems to be something to fear, something within us or around us, something close or far away, something visible or invisible, something in ourselves, in others, or in God. There never seems to be a totally fear-free moment. When we think, talk, act, or react, fear always seems to be there, an omnipresent force that we cannot shake off. Often fear has penetrated us so deeply that it controls, whether we're aware of it or not, most of our choices and decisions. Now and continues, so much power is wielded by instilling fear in people and keeping them afraid. There are so many fearful children, fearful students, fearful patients, fearful employees, fearful parents, fearful ministers, and fearful believers. Nearly always a threatening figure stands behind them and holds them under control, a father, a teacher, a doctor, a boss, a bishop, a church, or God. Fear is one of the most effective weapons in the hands of those who seek to control us. As long as we are kept in fear, we can be made to act, speak, and even think as slaves. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that the world has a fear problem. I don't know about you, but I have noticed in the election cycle we have just finished. We're not finished in Atlanta yet. We're still going. But in that election cycle, that much of our country has a fear problem. Many people that I know and love dearly have a fear problem. And the truth be known, I have a fear problem. It's funny because I stand up here and speak and it's so easy to think, yeah, he doesn't have a fear problem. I have an incredible fear problem, and I'm aware of it all the time. What are you afraid of? Just curious. In fact, first thing pops in your mind, turn to somebody to your left or right, just tell them what you're afraid of. If something jumped in your mind, fast, tell somebody. Anybody got anything? Tell them. Let me tell you what I was afraid of. I remember as a boy growing up, and... Uh, when my parents would tell me to go get the mail after dark and I would run to the mailbox. Yeah, anybody ever do that? You'd run to the mailbox, but it's after dark. And when you'd head back to the house, it's like every tree branch became monsters. And I remember getting back in the house, just breathless, just scared to death. As a child, a lot of things were scary to me. I grew up in the sixties. And, uh, so I was in elementary school in 1968 when the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and then Robert Kennedy. And my afternoon television schedule was wrecked, as you can imagine, because these two high-profile figures were assassinated. I didn't understand the politics. I didn't understand everything about it. But what I did understand was death was real and everybody was crying. And I just became very afraid. As I've grown older, I'm not afraid of the dark or monsters hiding in the trees anymore, and I'm not afraid of death, but I know I'm often gripped by fear. 
Fear is a hot topic right now. Probably doing the best job on the subject is Brene Brown. Her books, Rising Strong and Daring Greatly, and most recently, Dare to Lead, are all wonderful books on being vulnerable and casting off shame and, and being courageous in all you do. It's something we have to learn to deal with. And I want to talk to you about it today, because as I was thinking about it this week, I thought fear is something we all deal with. It's something I'm dealing with. Maybe it'll be something to be helpful for all of you. First, let me tell you some things about fear that you know. Good fear uh, can teach us some things that are very important, like how to have appropriate boundaries in our lives. So not all fear is bad. There's a lot of fears that are very good. There are times when we need to feel fear, and we drill these lessons into our kids so they know where good boundaries can be drawn. Don't get in the car with that person. You don't know who that person is. Those are good boundaries. Or good fear also alerts us to dangers. It's good when fear speaks to you and says, slow down, you're going too fast. Or don't touch that stove, you'll burn your hand. Or stay close to the shore, the riptide is really powerful today and you don't want to be pulled out to sea. So there are good fears that we need to be grateful for, but then there are bad fears. And bad fears paralyze us and they keep us stuck. We seem to know what we need to do, but we just can't do it because of fear. A few thoughts about fear. Bad fear is always based on distortion. We see it in politics. Immigrants are rapists. Immigrants are terrible lawbreakers. That's what they sell to us. But that's a distortion. That's not true. Refugees are coming. They're going to take over our land. That's what they try to sell us. We see it on the news all the time. The 24-hour news cycle has us so distorted I was with my dad. Y'all know the restaurant in Atlanta called The Varsity? It's a really cool place. Anyway, my dad and I were at The Varsity not long ago, and we were talking, and I said, do you know it's safer to come into Atlanta now than it was in the 70s when you used to bring us up here and, and take us to Piedmont Park, and we'd go around and look at the hippies. That's what we'd do is find where the hippies were, and we'd drive by and say, oh, my gosh, those are hippies. Anyway... <laughs> It is safer in Atlanta now than it was in the 70s. I'm talking to my dad, who is a very smart man, a mathematician, brilliant, and he said, I don't think that's true. And I said, Dad, I'm telling you, it's true. And he said, it can't be true. And we pulled up the statistics and saw that the 70s was far more dangerous in Atlanta than it is right now. Why? News cycles, 24 hours, looking at it all the time, we begin to think things are way worse than they really are. What does news say? If it bleeds, it leads. They put it on the news all the time and they keep it going to keep you scared. One of the places many of us have struggled with fear is as it relates to God. Many of us grew up with an unhealthy fear of God that was pushed on us by our church and by our preachers. I remember being afraid. What is fear according to the Bible? Well, in the Bible, we see the word fear translated from several different Hebrew and Greek words, but they're essentially just two ideas. One type of fear in the Bible is related to the experience of God. We see it a lot, fear the Lord, which is not really a great translation. It would be better probably if it was translated honor God or honor the divine. But when we, when fundamentalists see fear, can I turn down a lot? I feel like I'm booming up here. Can I come down a whole bunch? And then I can just talk louder if that's all right. When fundamentalists saw fear God, they ended up really running with that. I remember in college studying the Jonathan Edwards sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which was preached in 1741. And it is grotesque 
what this preacher was saying at the time. He said this, that God holds you over the pit of hell much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire. God abhors you. God, God is dreadfully provoked by you. Now, I thought, how horrible is that? But I grew up in a Baptist church, and we had preaching regularly that was much like that. I remember an evangelist that came to our church every year named J. Harold Smith. He was a very famous Baptist evangelist. He preached a sermon called God's Three Deadlines, and every year, everybody in the church got saved because they were scared to death <laughs> because he would have us hanging over the fires of hell by a God who hated us, abhorred us, and we needed to rush to the altar to, to find relief. Churches use fear to get people to attend their services. They use fear to get the church to support financially the budget. They use fear to get you to invite others to church. It's a horrible thing. Stan and I talk all the time about how beautiful it is when you have a congregation like this that does those things because they, they love. They just want to do it. And they're not coerced and they're not manipulated and they're not um, afraid because some preacher has tried to make them afraid. Fear of God is really more honor the divine force. There should be no more quaking in your boots in fear of God. My favorite writer is Franciscan priest Richard Rohr. I saw Steve Weyer here, and I know Steve loves him very much. Richard Rohr said this, and I never have forgotten it. If God is Trinity, if God is Trinity and Jesus is the face of God, then it is a benevolent universe. God is not someone to be afraid of, but God is the ground of being. And God is on our side. Can I say that again? If God is Trinity and Jesus is the face of God, then it is a benevolent universe. God is not someone to be afraid of, but is the ground of being and on our side. I love when great songwriting duos nail it. I'm not talking about Lennon and McCartney or Simon and Garfunkel. I'm talking about Child and Hodges who said this. God was never angry. God was not against me. God was never far away. God's not disappointed. God's not keeping score. God's not judging my mistakes. God is light. God is love. Do not fear for God's with us. God is good. God is grace. God will never hide her face. God is. God is. The other type of fear that we see in the Bible are scary things, and we are encouraged as followers of God to not be paralyzed by fear, but to actually be able to march through it. The Bible says it over and over again. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Perfect love cast out fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear. As people on a spiritual journey, many here who would say they're following Jesus, I want you to know you don't have to be afraid. Whatever it is you're facing, you don't have to be afraid. But we still struggle sometimes, don't we? Let me share some things maybe to help us as we consider the cost of saying yes to our fears. I don't want us to do this. If you live with a fear mindset, it will eat away at your sense of self-worth. If you live and constantly say yes to fear, it will slowly eat away at your self-worth. It will erode your ability to believe in your own values as someone who has been made in the image of God. Psychologists and counselors have long been intrigued by the connection between low self-esteem and fear. 
And here's a great paradox. Why is it that there are so many people who have so many reasons to have a high sense of self-esteem and self-worth, but they don't? How come there are so many people who have accomplished so many things, they're so gifted, they're attractive, they're well-liked, but they struggle with their own sense of self-worth? The most recent studies discovered that one component to low feelings of self-worth is this. When people face a difficult situation, a fear-producing situation, do they take action and face it head-on, or do they avoid it? Do they bail on it in the moment, shrink back, run and hide, or do they face it? Here's what they found. When people take action, even though things don't turn out perfectly, they get a surge of delight. Something in them says, I did a hard thing. I took on a difficult challenge. I faced my fear directly, and they grow. They get a sense of strength, of personhood. I discovered this when I was about 11 years old. I was 11 years old, and we used to go to the ball field all the time, and at the ball field, there was a bully that tormented me and uh, was giving me great grief, so much so that I remember going to my dad and saying, you got to help me. you got to stop this because this is bad. And my dad said, son, you've got to stand up to the bully, which was not at all what I wanted to hear. It's like I wanted dad to take care of the situation. And he was smarter than that. He didn't take care of the situation. He said, no, you've got to take care of it. He said, you've got to confront the bully. And I remember sleepless nights. I remember sick at my stomach, but I remember finally realizing it had to happen. So we were at the ball field. It was like a Thursday night. There was all these baseball fields all around. And there was one field that no game was going on. And I knew this was my moment because there was a lot of kids out on the playground and my bully was out on the playground and I knew it was time. And so I remember striding across the field. My heart was pumping. I was feeling so desperate, but I walked across that field and I said to her, you have to leave me alone. And I promise you with my hands held high, this is the truth. She punched me right in the nose And I thought, oh my gosh, but there was something that was empowering about facing a bully. There was something that was like, this is okay. I was able to do this. I felt better for standing up for myself. When you're in a situation that creates fear and you face it head on, you'll feel a rush of satisfaction knowing that you displayed courage. That's that's really important. Something else about fear. If you live paralyzed by fear, you'll not grow into your best, best self. God will still love you perfectly. That never changes. We know that. Thankfully, we know that. But you'll leave a lot on the table in your life. There'll be so much in your life that you'll never experience because you will never confront the fears that are in front of you. If you live in fear, you'll never experience your full potential because growth always involves risk and risk always involves fear. Many of you might feel stuck today. And you felt a tug on your heart that something needs to happen, something different. But it's only when you power through that you're going to experience what you really need to experience. I had breakfast this morning with a gentleman who had been in the restaurant business for 30 years. But he said he just knew it was time. It was time. His time was over. He's a vice president of a a regional chain. and, And he had a good living. And he's got five kids. But he said, this is, I'm done And he and his wife kind of wrestled with it a little bit. And he finally got the courage to say, I don't want to finish this way. And so he met with the owner of the company and found an exit strategy that would work for everybody. And he was able to get out. And then he was confronted with, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And he didn't have it all figured out. 
but he confronted his fears. And he walked a road he had never walked before. He said he went seven months without a job. They had put away some money, so they were okay. Seven months without a job. And then he landed one of the greatest jobs, and he's now moving to Franklin. He's so happy. But I was so proud that a guy, after 30 years, was willing to say, I need to confront this fear and do what I feel like I need to do. I know what it's like to coast, don't you? To know that you should be doing something, but you're afraid. To know that you need to step out, but you're just thinking, I'm unsure of what it may look like, but you can't sleep at night because you know it's something you need to do. Why are we afraid? Maybe it's fear of failure. What if I try to do something and it doesn't go well? What if people don't accept me? What if I can't make a living? What if people see me try something and they think I'm foolish? What if I'm not as talented or as creative or as strong as I I think I am? What if it just doesn't work out? Another cost, if you live frozen by fear, is it leads to a mountain of regret. This is one that I think about all the time. I think about what will it be like to stand at the end of my life and look in the mirror and say, Ray, you had so much potential. There were so many things that you could have done, so many battles that you should have fought, so many opportunities you should have stood up, but you shrunk from them. And I think of the regret of the old man looking in the mirror, and I think, I don't want that. Many settle for living their fears instead of living their dreams. Don't let that be you, Grace Point. I heard an old story that illustrates this well. There once was a criminal who had committed a terrible crime, and he was sent to the king for punishment. The king told him he had a choice of two punishments. He could be hung by a rope or take what's behind the big, dark, scary iron door. The criminal quickly decided on the rope. As the noose was being slipped over his head, he turned to the king and said, By the way, out of curiosity, what's behind the big, dark, scary iron door? The king laughed and said, You know, it's funny. I offer everybody the same choice, and almost everybody picks the rope. So said the criminal, tell me, what's behind the big, dark, scary iron door? I mean, obviously, I won't tell anybody, he said, pointing to the rope around his neck. The king paused and said, freedom. But it seems most people are so afraid of the unknown that they immediately take the rope. I love that message. To me, it's a powerful reminder about how so many of us cling to the familiar. Yes, unfortunately, too many of us live our lives choosing the familiarity of a rope, familiar pain, familiar struggle, familiar patterns. We're fearful of going for the unknown alternative, and so we just choose what we know. Alan Watts, British philosopher, writer, and speaker said this, our lives are one long effort to resist the unknown. So the result, we're a planet full of folks walking around with metaphorical ropes around our necks, wondering why we feel a bit emotionally and spiritually dead all the time. Let me give you a power phrase I've been thinking about this week. On the other side of fear, there's potential. And on the other side of great fear is even greater potential. If you don't step out and live your life, you're going to have regrets, I guarantee it. A couple of weeks ago, actually a month now, we went to Pride in Atlanta, and uh, it was wonderful. It was, it was a wonderful event, and I had a glitter beard, and that was, seemed to attract a lot of attention, and so that was really cool. I still have glitter all in my bathroom. We tried to clean it out. It won't come off the, I mean, it's everywhere. 
So I feel like I'm in a disco every night when I go to the bathroom. Anyway, met some wonderful people and um, we had mom hug shirts and I, I know you're familiar with all that stuff. And um, I think Stan was going to be preaching in a couple of weeks. But anyway, we met a lady who was drawn to the mom hugs and she told us a story. She said, my daughter's 16 years old. And she said, we have been at, and she named the church. It's a mega church. You would all know the church and it's got satellite campuses everywhere. And we're at this particular campus and it is our life, uh, husband, wife, kids. It's our life. We are there all the time. We um, get there at seven in the morning. My husband is the uh, audio video guy and we work in the children's ministry and my daughter's on the praise team. And Anyway, the daughter is this delightful 16-year-old, 17 now, and uh, she had already come out to her parents. And the church, they had been told the church was a safe place. Wherever you were in life, the church was a safe place. And so she had come out on Instagram and they arrived at church on Sunday morning to do their thing, which they loved church and had for their whole life. And they were met with, um, you no longer can teach the children, you can't lead the small group and you can't stand on the stage. And so this mother is telling us the devastating story of her daughter. Now it was six months later, her daughter had not been in church and really was kind of through, thinking maybe she was through with the whole thing. So we said, listen, 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 there are churches out there, not a lot of churches out there, but there are some churches that would not have done that. We said, Stan's going to be at church. Would y'all like to come? And so they came, I, th- I don't know, a few weeks ago. I got to meet this young lady, and I was so proud because she was so brave. And uh, it made her think, if that's the way church is, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But then she's now discovering that there are other places like Grace Point other places around the country that honor when you stand up and say, this is who I am. This is me. I'm not going to be afraid. The only people who aren't challenged by fear are people who have quit stretching. I think this young lady's stretching. As long as you're stretching and growing, fear's going to rise up to try to prevent you from your path, but you got to keep stretching. One other thing, if you live with a fear mindset, I think it becomes contagious. I think when you're fearful, people around you become fearful. Uh, my, some of my family members on Facebook, I know they're so afraid, not my dad, but some other family members are so afraid. And that fear just seems to spread. I never wanted my kids to grow up and be afraid. I wanted my kids to grow up and know they could face anything, but I know kids learn from their parents. And so I knew I needed to confront some fears in my life. And when I confront fears now, I tell them because I want them to know they can get through it. My favorite part of the David and Goliath story is not the David killing Goliath. That's a cute story. I like that. But my favorite part is all of Israel has been scared to death and hiding until David faces a fear. And then all of Israel comes charging behind and they're not afraid anymore. They come charging out. We don't want to live a life frozen by fear. So how can you conquer it? Elizabeth Gilbert had a great idea. The great writer, uh, her great book, I think, is Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. She says she talks to her fear. She says to her fear, you know what? When you reminded me to drive slow, that was important, and I appreciate that fear. But you know what? You're way out of line here. You don't need to be handling everything right now. So today, right now, in this moment, stand down. I've got this. And I think that's brilliant. Sometimes talk to your fear. 
I was in Kroger the other day and I saw a well-dressed woman pushing a grocery cart. She had a kid in the cart about three years old, having a bad day. I'm so glad I'm a granddad. I got eight grandkids, but they're all older than this. I don't have to do this anymore. This kid was melting down, but the mother was so together. They went down a cookie aisle. I was with them on the cookie aisle. The kids screaming. The mom said this calm voice. Now, Delany, we just have half of the aisles left to go. Don't be upset. It won't be long. I pass the mother again in the candy section. Kid wants candy. Mom says no. Kid begins to melt down. Mom says again, calm voice. There, there, Delany. Only two more aisles to go. Then we'll be checking out. I'm impressed. I happened to get in the same line as they were. The kid was doing fine, but once she got close to the candy at the, at the checkout, kid goes nuts. Mom again, Delaney, we will be through the checkout stand in five minutes, and then you can go home and you can have a nice nap. I paid for my stuff. I went in the parking lot, and I thought, I'm going to say something to that lady because that is so strong. And so I, I went over to her, and I said, I couldn't help noticing how patient you were with little Delaney. And the mother broke in and said, my little girl's name is Kiara. I am Delaney. And so I realized... <laughs> I realized this lady had mastered talking to herself and you and I can master talking to herself too. And sometimes we have to say, I don't have to be afraid. Fear, stand down, stand down. One more thing, y'all, we know this, and this is a progressive church, but it doesn't change that we can remember every day that we're not in this alone. What Rohr said is true. If God is Trinity and Jesus is the face of God, then this is a benevolent universe and God is on your side. He's not on your side in the exclusion of not being on someone else's side. He is God. God is on all of our sides. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Brene Brown has a saying, be afraid and do it anyway. Be afraid and do it anyway. When my kids were young, there was a movie that came out, and I don't know if y'all have seen it or not, and I'll close with this. It was called The Bear. Did you ever see that? Almost no dialogue in the movie, and it's about a little cub bear, and the cub bear's mom gets killed early in the movie, and so you think, what's going to happen? This bear is in a mess, and there's a mountain lion that's kind of stalking it, but this huge Kodiak comes along and kind of takes the bear and begins to mentor the bear. And so this little cub, it's a really cute movie, and, and it's, kids love it, and so we used to watch it all the time. But it was so interesting because the, the Kodiak taught the little bear how to scratch its back on a tree and how to um, fish and all, all these things that bears do. And it's real bears. I mean, this is not a cartoon. It's real bear stuff. And uh, that sounds silly, but you know, but it's, it's <laughs> you get what I'm talking about. But anyway, the... Uh, One day the Kodiak is not around and the little bear has kind of wandered out and suddenly the mountain lion sees that he is vulnerable and the mountain lion is about to pounce and you just, your your heart is in your chest. You can't believe it. And the little bear remembers what he has seen the Kodiak do. And so it gets up on its hind legs and it's so pitiful. It does this, it's kind of trying to growl and it's not much of a growl. And you see the lion's about to pounce and then the lion loses its courage and turns and goes away. And the camera comes back on the little bear and the little bear's like, wow, that worked. It was like amazing. And then the camera pans back and you see behind it, the huge Kodiak has arrived. I don't want want to be silly, but I just want you to know when I'm faced with fear, 
I like to think God's with us. God is with us. We don't have to be afraid. We can step out. We can make a difference. We can be who we are. We don't have to hide. We can have a church like this church that is so right in what you believe and what you teach. This is a great place. Grace Point, you don't have to be afraid. Grace Point, you don't have to be afraid. Grace Point, don't be afraid. Would you pray, please? God, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to spend just a few moments talking about not being afraid, being courageous. Help that penetrate all of our hearts. And maybe there's somebody here who needs to do a courageous thing right now. Let them know they can do it. Let them know this is a benevolent universe and you are on our side. And we thank you for this. And we pray it in Christ's name.